Welcome back to The Catch. My name is Michael Adams. I'm joined by my co-host, John Rahimi. Greetings, all. Yeah, we're joined here on a Thursday. It's our first Thursday podcast set up. Um, yeah, just finished up weird. lunch. Just finished up eating some tasty, delicious corn dogs, which John was yeah, that, ever so jealous of. Corn dogs are top five favorite foods because I have the palate of a 12-year-old, but I miss those greatly in hearing you having to eat all of them in my stud was very sad there's one extra actually oh yeah yeah it might go to waste i could maybe just pack it up and ship it to you it's a three-hour please you just reheat it keep it warm it's fine my brother actually made uh homemade corn dogs like three weeks ago and they were really good actually this i don't know what he did i'm not gonna lie but i mean why i don't know i don't know i I I like corn dogs but it's just like you know I would never go out of my way to make them myself. It's kind of cool. You, you just stick the hot dog on the on the stick and then get some oil and get your your batter and you do it. I think you did like a beer batter or something, but they were really good. The sticks were like enormous. They were over a foot long. I was like, why'd you make them so freaking long? <laughs> the corn dogs were like that big. They were really tiny. But I kind of wanted to get into that because then I can eat corn dogs whenever I want. Yeah, and you're living on, you know, you're living in an assignment now and you're in charge of cooking, so you can kind of take it upon yourself. I know I have to cook tonight, dude. I'm so scared. <laughs> I haven't thought of anything to make. I'm just like, what if I just... I found Totino's pizza rolls in the freezer, though. So that might be different. <laughs> yeah, we'll now that I'm, I don't know. Now that I'm preparing to move to Chicago and all, my parents are insisting that I learn how to cook and, you know, fend for myself a little bit more, uh, which has been... Have you ever cooked for yourself? I mean, not consistently. I've cooked, but, like, I never consistently cook for myself. Actually, never, I take that back. I've never seen you cook. Last summer I did when I lived in Chicago for my internship. I oh. cooked a lot, but I also relied a lot on frozen pizzas. Um, and so I'm Your trying to break that, yeah, break that habit, make some more unique things, trying to learn how to grill better, become that grill master that we speak of. Um, Are you guys going to have a grill? Of course we're going to have a grill. Oh, really? Well, I don't know. I'm going to buy one if we don't. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, because I mean, between you and Joe's already a grill master, so he can do it but i don't know about you i've never seen you grill or cook anything so i don't know it's been it's been pretty dang tasty lately i made a uh like cornbread mexican like i don't even know what it was it was cooked in this giant skillet and it was just all this tasty goodness mixed together it was one of the like top five like most creative things i ever made (laughs) wow all right my brother actually asked for my brother asked for the recipe which is how you know it's good is he, is he a picky eater? No, but he's kind of that guy, you know, the tough love. He, he's like, this is oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So when he says, he's like, hey, this is really good. It's like, mm, I did something right here. Nice. Nice. Look at you. You're becoming a, a real chef. You can go on, uh, what's the show called? Chopped? No, I was going to go on the uh, the Gordon Ramsay one. Oh, Kitchen, the, uh, Hell's Kitchen? No, no, no. The the Master, master oh, Chef. Master Chef. Dude, that's Master Chef show. Kids. I was just going to dress myself down. <laughs> it's okay. You can't, you can't grow facial hair, so they won't have any trouble, you know, kind of buying that. Hey, if you look on our social media, you will see my luscious locks of a beautiful goatee a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, the beautiful goatee. Anyways. Followed by the yeah, mustache that was not loved as much. 
that was like my mohawk. I got home and my mom looked at me and was like, you need to shave that off right now. And I was like, are you kidding me? That looks so cool though. So alas, it's gone. I'm back to being regular bald. That happens. Now you're just, I you know. know, now you're a little cue ball. It's okay. A little cue ball. Yeah. A ball of shadow. Yeah, you do have a little bit of a five o'clock shadow on your forehead. <laughs> well, not really your forehead. Your forehead's pretty bald. It's more the top of your head that has the five o'clock shadow. Yeah, I just shaved last night. That's why. Okay. Yeah. I hopefully don't Anyways, have to worry about that for a few more years. Shut up. Don't make don't make me more jealous than I already am with the corn dogs. Yes. Anyways, we'll move on so John doesn't get more jealous of everything in the the country life of Metamora. Um but yeah, John. This is this topic that we're actually going into was one that you brought to me. And it was one that was actually brought to you. Yeah, uh, by uh our friend Christina McCormick, who was very bossy and very demanding that we talk about this topic. So we're going to do it just to appease her. Yeah. I'm kidding. She was not. She was very kind about it. No, she basically said if we didn't do it, that she'd go give us a bunch of bad Yelp reviews. <laughs> we couldn't risk that on our <laughs> reputation. Um, yeah, we're so too Christina, young. please give us five stars on Yelp. We're sorry if we offend you. Um, this is for you, though. This is for her and for all the dads out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're, I think we're going to be releasing this podcast. I think it's the day after Father's Day. Yeah. If it's not, then just ignore this part. But yeah, we thought it was kind of timely to speak about fatherhood and specifically spiritual fatherhood and what that is, what it looks like, and how it can be executed in various different vocations. Um, yeah, just with Father's Day coming up, we thought it'd be timely to hit some of these more important and meaty topics when it comes to that idea of what is it to be a father and what is it actually more specifically to be a spiritual father in this life. Um, And we want to emphasize that this podcast isn't just for the dads out there, although it is kind of a shout out to them. Um, You don't have to be a dad to be a spiritual father. Even more specifically, you don't have to be a priest to be a spiritual father. Um, You can also be a spiritual father at any stage of life, whether you're young, old, single, married, religious, any of the above that call first comes from this idea of we're called to love one another, um, not that call to actual spiritual fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. All of us, whether we are married, not married, religious priests, whatever, um, all men. And then likewise goes with women with motherhood. Um, we all have a call to uh, like a parental kind of vocation, right? All men are called to be fathers. All men are called to be mothers in some, some capacity. Uh, so I think that idea of just looking at it that way, that our vocation in some way is going to have to deal with fatherhood or motherhood, but specifically today about fatherhood, it's going to deal with that. So having that as kind of like our, our lens for looking at all of these things, I think is a really good way to go about it versus just kind of like, it's a job, it's another career or whatever, you know, it's more about being in relationship, a father to his sons and daughters. Yeah. And we'll touch a little bit on motherhood towards the end there. Um, but first kind of starting off with like spiritual fatherhoods, you know, you hear it. And when I hear spiritual fatherhood, you know, I think of the priests in my life who I'm close with, cause that's mm-hmm. like your idea of like, Oh, you're, who is your spiritual father? Um, it's like the same thing. Like when you think of like your dad, you think of like, who is your earthly father? Um, so there's kind of like that dynamic there. And so, uh, going into kind of what is a spiritual father, there's this interesting thing I read a couple of days ago in prepping for this about what it meant to be a father. Um, And it comes actually from Jewish culture. And it says, 
in Jewish culture, the one who teaches the boy the Torah or the Old Testament as we know is actually recognized as having begotten the boy into the faith. Um, wow. And that kind of in my head, like summarizes what it means to be, be a spiritual father, like very simply put, it's like to bring the boy into the faith and to teach him, to educate him, to nurture that relationship and like show him the importance of it. Yeah, that is, that's really beautiful. Gosh, I'm sure we have something akin to that in our tradition somewhere, but yeah, I mean, we are the, their ancestors. So it kind of makes sense that they would talk about that too, but wow. Yeah. I mean, just to have, that role and see yourself as being able to like beget someone, right? That's what we talk about. Jesus's relationship with the father is he's begotten by the father. So like, that's a, it's a pretty, like, I don't want to make it sound like it's a, you know, crazy thing, but like it is like, it's a weighty responsibility to beget someone in the faith and to bring them into that and to like bear fruit in that way. Right. Like it's, you're giving, you're in a sense, generating life, like not in the, uh, physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, which is kind of, I don't know if it's more important, but it's pretty dang important. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I just found it interesting that tradition and why I apologize. I did say that whoever teaches the boy and begotten him into the faith, this applies to both men and women, whoever begets yeah. the uh, male or the female into the faith is recognized as the one who has begotten. So just like an interesting view on what it means to be a father and like that whole different aspect of it. I think in culture, there's a really dangerous temptation to kind of separate the two of like, oh, I can be the father who teaches my children life skills. I can teach them how to survive in the world and I can teach them how to work. Yeah. I can teach them a work ethic and I can teach them how to just, you know, get by. Or on the flip side, it's like, well, I can teach them about their faith and I can teach them what it means to pray and all these other things, but how can I actually mesh those two together? Um, and how does everyone do that? Like, how do you actually interact with someone with like authentic fatherhood where you invest in all different aspects of the child for our sakes life? Yeah. Gosh, I'm loving this right now. This is so cool. Uh, the, that tendency, right. So is so present in, I think a lot of young dads now, but even, you know, older dads and a lot of young guys who are looking at their future, um, of like, what do I want to teach my kids or, uh, what do I need to like give them? And it's all about like life skills. I need to make them like make them responsible, make them, um, be able to, you know, create their own family and, and survive and do all these things. And those are important. Right. But I think you had a really, in, really good point of, we need to have a, an outlook that says we're both body and soul and both like are important to nourish both are important to give and bring life to um so we not just like provide the physical needs of our children but also the spiritual needs which are equally important because it's not like one or the other right if your spiritual side is off your physical is affected by or yeah your physical is affected by that and vice versa um like if i'm being a couch potato and having my one serving of ice cream which is a full quart um on the couch every every day and i'm not praying uh yeah my spiritual life is going to take a hit um from my exercising stuff so it, getting both of those sides together and recognizing the body soul part of or wholeness of being a human is so important especially for dads to look at when you say like getting them together i think it's also when i'm saying like okay we're talking about spiritual fatherhood like we're speaking about the spiritual aspect of fatherhood the spiritual aspect of fatherhood is not just again 
one separate where it's only concerned with the soul. Like spiritual mm-hmm. fatherhood can be experienced in all aspects, both like the soul and the body. Yeah. So I just want to emphasize that before we keep moving on. Um, yeah, kind of speaking about what it is, I think kind of what Christina had talked to us a little bit about and some of kind of striked my curiosity, I think yours too, as we kind of kept talking and prepping for this more in detail, uh, was kind of how it affected the different vocations of life and how spiritual fatherhood looks for people within different areas of life, within different vocations, and kind of how that progresses as the people in your life grow. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to start off with the very obvious. You know, the first thing when we think of when we think spiritual fatherhood, we think of, what do you think? Dads. Oh, I was going to say priests. Oh, my bad. <laughs> We'll just cut that later. Insert intelligent comment there. Okay. Moving on. Answer, dad. I call John dad. I'm sorry. So um, anyways, the the priests, yes, not dads, as I said. I didn't say that. We're moving on. Moving on. Um, But yeah, I think like spiritual father, because it's just so emphasized uh, within this world of like your earthly father is, you know, your dad. And I think of like kind of how it's talked about Jesus, like, oh, well, he had his like spiritual father of God, and then he had his earthly father of Joseph. It's like mm-hmm. both were equally important, like not equally. Joseph was just as important in like developing Jesus and brought him into his faith and all these things, but he's still called his earthly father. So in my head, yeah. I kind of think of, like spiritual father, I think of God, or I think of like a priest or something like that who like dedicates their life to the spiritual aspect of developing people. Um, That's really interesting. Sorry, I want to stop there. That's just kind of something just really strikes me as a little light bulb moment, but. Uh, I think we can actually look at Joseph as a real spiritual father because, and even like in the priestly sense, because his call is not like marriage is right. The it's the natural call. And then like the, for the priest is the, it's the supernatural call. And Joseph, we see him like supernaturally called, like he has a visitation from an angel telling him like, Hey, take Mary into your home. Like this is your call. This is your vocation. Um, that doesn't happen like for, for marriage. <laughs> That's not what goes on. Um, but he, he does that and he lives out his vocation and he didn't beget Jesus, right? That's not from his physical birthing. Uh, he didn't have a physical role in that, but he has a spiritual role in, in bringing life to him and teach like the Jewish tradition, teaching him the Torah, helping him to understand his humanity and to develop good human virtue. Like that was his role as a spiritual father. Um, and he was right. Chaste in his marriage. So he's practicing chastity like priests do. So there's a real, real spiritual priestly fatherhood uh, that we can find in Joseph. Yeah. It's interesting. I actually never really thought of that. Cause you know, we're always told like, Oh, look to Joseph when you were wanting to be a husband, like yeah. husbands, look <laughs> to Joseph, emulate Joseph. And it's interesting cause it is kind of more of a dynamic of, yeah, he emulates what it is to be a really great husband and father and all these things. But he also imitates a lot of those virtues that we see in really great priests that are really near and dear to our own hearts. Yeah. I think that's something that's, been really important to you and I both is different priests that we've had in our lives that have helped kind of nurture and care for us. Um, and I know we kind of talked about like this idea of when you're a father, it's like, who is your flock? You know, mm-hmm. as a priest, your flock is your parishioners or yeah. in like the married life, your flock is your children and your wife. Um, as a, a friend and single person, your flock is like those that you surround yourself with your friends, family, all that mumbo jumbo. Um, yeah. Your community. Yeah, exactly. And as a priest, I think, you know, we both experienced that through our time in college, having people like Father Chase. Um, I know you've had other priests that you've been close to through your own discernment period, um, yeah. kind of affected a lot of our own spiritual growth, but also affected just different aspects of our lives and challenged us as men, as friends, 
as Christians. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything that impacted me more um, than spiritual fatherhood. Like when I thought about those priests, it wasn't, it wasn't any other aspect of them. It wasn't like Father Chase is a really like hardcore dude. Um, it wasn't that he's a really good speaker. It wasn't that. Um, and even uh, like for me, my vocation director, Father Tim uh, Monahan, he's a really awesome guy, very personable. But it was, it was his fatherhood. It was Father Chase's father, his father Lampett's fatherhood. Like it was that aspect of their priest, priestly life and how they're relating to me as a father um, like guiding me, teaching me, walking with me, being gentle, um, and then like challenging me to grow. That was what um, kind of really helped me to change and develop. It wasn't anything else that, like any cool qualities or like the more, um, I guess, uh, kind of tactile, like tangible things. It was like, no, this real character that they had um, that I thought was just so inspiring. I think what I was really drawn to there when you're talking is first, the idea of them walking alongside you. Second, them challenging you and educating you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's something that I've experienced too. Like I remember when I first uh, got to know Father Chase a little bit more and I were like, I think it was like we went to the basketball court and like he played basketball with us or maybe it was soccer or something. We played like some sport together. I was like, Mm -hmm. who is this guy? Like he wants to like go play sports with us or like, I, you and I used to go, you and I and James used to go get uh, a beer with him on Monday nights and like yeah. little things like that of just participating in our lives and showing interest in our lives outside of yes. just the mass, you know, wanting to know how our personal lives are going, wanting to know how classes are going, wanting just to like catch up and just encounter life together. That was that was very attractive and kind of drew me in and actually inspired me to actually dive into like, okay, what is it that makes father chase want to do these things and like what inspires him to like be the human that he is and be the priest that he is what inspires the joy inside of him and then again through that it always came back to the same center point of this is all really great we can do things together we can have fun together we can go skiing together but at the end of the day like the purpose of this life is not just to live life together it's to get to heaven together and there's mm-hmm. always that challenge coming from him and other priests in our lives of just drawing our attention back to the father, drawing our attention through different homilies or doing Lexio with us or doing different prayers or just being there for spiritual formation, no matter what it was, just the impact that that made on us. I think, as you can see a couple of years later is just profound. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was always very personal. I think and that's what really, I think moved me the most was getting, it was affectionate because I think a lot of like, it's easy for guys to think, if I'm going to be a dad, I got to be this kind of like leader. And that oftentimes takes the form of being a kind of more distant and ahead of the pack kind of person. And that was not my experience with them at all. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. And even like seeing him with other people, um, some of the women, um, especially like Father Chase, even Father Tim too. Um, like there's a real like father daughter relationship there and like the affection that he would show towards his daughters, right? Like it was just very, real and you're like oh my gosh that's it's really beautiful like he's really like encountering them and not just being like i'm over here like i'm gonna wait and kind of just throw things at you until you kind of get here you know like leaving breadcrumbs along the trail until they kind of pick it up and, and get there it's like no it's very very intimate and very personal um when you're living out fatherhood in that way so yeah i just appreciate all of them and love them for what they did yeah it brings to mind like that idea of like the shepherd with his flock and you know like 
the mm-hmm. one the one sheep who goes missing and then like going out to search for it and find it and i think that's something that that spiritual fatherhood within the vocation of priesthood i think that's one of the things that can be most inspiring from them when you see them do that even if it's not even if you're not the one sheep that's lost even if you're part of the 99 seeing them go outside of themselves and go outside of you to go get that one i think is honestly like it shows the care and love that they have for mm-hmm. you as an individual even yeah and then like even just these things we've just talked about with priests i mean i've been able to see it with my my brother nick who's a dad now been dad for two years with his son and then even some of my brother's friends who are married and they have their kids and just kind of the way that like they interact with their kids or even seeing other other parents interact with their kids like these young catholic families i'm just blown away by how how much their fathers love their children and how much of like a shepherd they are with them or they're kind of like uh, wrangling them in and grabbing them together and bringing them close to themselves instead of this kind of like distant um unaffectionate emotionless kind of person and it's really it's really beautiful it's really hopeful too just to see that this is like guys are seeing how important fatherhood is and how important it is to integrate the spiritual the human sides and like encounter the persons that they've begotten like in their families it's really cool yeah, that kind of goes perfect into like, you know, how do we live this out in the married life? And, you know, there's mm-hmm. no one better to tell you anyone how to live it out in the married life than a seminarian and <laughs> someone who's 23 and not married. Um, yeah. But we're going to do our best. But yeah, like you said, just, I, th- I think there's something that being now a little bit older, having gone to college, having graduated, all these things, like I can kind of look in hindsight and like see my own father's efforts, like my own dad's efforts of like bringing me into the faith, like having those tough conversations with me challenging me to be better and like calling me out when I'm doing stupid stuff and being, you know, that angsty 13, 14 year old, like, dad, you just don't understand. Like it's different now. Yeah, right. It's like, now as I get 23, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I was such a little brat. Like I can see that like <laughs> love and that cherishing that he did for me at that time. And like still does, mm-hmm. but it is almost like I see it through my brothers, how they care for their children. It's like, Oh man, like how, great of dads they are and how much they really love and nurture that relationship both on the soul and the body i remember going to mass with my nephew beckett and i remember he was like i don't know one and a half and it was something like oh all right beckett like it's time to pray and i remember like he put his hands together and like did like a little mini sign of the cross pretty sure he did it (laughs) wrong but like just like the effort was just so cute and like knowing that that is something that is important and being valued within the family all right as an adult i was like man that just like that just pumps me up to see my like nephew being cared for in that way. Um, I think it's something that we just kind of take for granted, you know, you think of like your own childhood. It's like, sometimes you don't think of like those beautiful memories, of, like how your parents really drew you to the father of God and how they really drew you into the faith, but also how they drew out the other aspects of your personality and like the body, like what your interests are and how they supported you and then everything like that. And then we kind of went back to how do you do spiritual father? And one of the things I first said was like, it starts with investing in the entire life. And like who better to invest in the entire life than like the dad, right. you're there, yeah. you live there, you're with them 24 seven. You are the example of what it means to be a man to your sons. You're the example of what it means to be a man to your daughters. You mm-hmm. have so much power and so much yeah. influence on their life and on their future decisions. It's honestly very intimidating as a man to like think of that power that you have as a father. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's one that if you don't, coward from the fight can end up being one of the most beautiful things and produce some of the most beautiful fruit that we can imagine. Yeah. I think this is really like, it's, it's beautiful just to talk about this right now, especially with you know, Father's Day coming up or I guess when this comes out, it'll be, it'll already happened, but just to reflect on like our, 
our own fathers. And uh, I think it's easy a lot of times to get stuck and you always hear people talking about father wounds and how important those are to deal with. And it's like, yeah, we all got them, but I just appreciate what we're talking about now because it's good to take a step back and like, look at what did my father actually do for me? And what were the good things that came out of it? Yeah, he wasn't perfect, but I look at my own dad and I just, the, the integration of faith and work, I think that was what probably the greatest gift he's ever given. Um, because every time it was always about trusting in God and being dependent on him. And, uh, his faith was so clearly evident throughout like my childhood. And it was never just like, you know, he's a doctor and it was time in the office or at the hospital. And then, you know, faith over on the other side, it was always integrated into one. He's always praying and always trying to bring that, um, those two in, into more closer union. And he showed that to us. And now my brother, who's got his own son, like my dad will go over to his house and help him build things. And he's still teaching, right? He's still showing him like these kind of human traits and how to do these things and how to you know, start his family. Um, and my brother's learning that from him and he's seeing it and he's integrating that same stuff with his own son, teaching him the faith and like impressing upon his son, how important it is that we go to church, even in the midst of a pandemic, like on Easter Sunday, uh, my nephew, Brian thought they were going to church. So he got all dressed up in his hair comb and they told him, like, no, we still have to watch on the TV. And he started like crying around the house, screaming like church, church, I want church. He wanted it so badly because his father has integrated their life with the faith. And it was so, so beautiful. I was so proud of him for that. Yeah, I know. Everyone give dads a break. <laughs> I, I, think, <laughs> I think, I don't know why, but there's just been this huge push of, you know, addressing those like wounds from your parents or wounds from like your brothers or your sisters, whatever it was, like those familial wounds. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're important. Yes, they need to address. But also, yeah, it's so fruitful to just take time and really think of like... Be grateful. <laughs> yeah, be grateful like what you had and what they did and the example that they had and like the effect that they had on you. And I mean... I don't know. I have this extreme desire within my own heart to evangelize and really like bring people to the faith. And I can think of exactly why that was built in me. And it was because I was in grade school in like sixth grade and my dad started a Bible study for me and my friends on Friday morning before school. And like every Friday morning I had my best friends who weren't even like religious at the time, like come over and like, we would just talk about some sort of scripture I remember like yeah. being so embarrassed as a kid. I was like, oh man, I'm like, dad, don't pray in front of my friends, X, Y, Z. Like now as a man, I'm like, dude, that was like the coolest thing anyone could have done for me. Like I pray that I would do that for my own children. Um, yeah, like take some time to really just thank your father, um, especially yeah. in this time of father, Father's Day, like be thankful for what they did for you. And I don't want to like belittle, I, I get like, we're very, we're very blessed to have had great fathers and great upbringings. Um, and there are those who have, not had that. Um, so yeah, like again, the addressing the wounds is important. Addressing like what wasn't there is important. Um, not to belittle anyone's if you've had a rough experience with your father. Um, but yeah, just be grateful for the, for the gifts you have been given, I guess would be the, the point of these fellows. And look to those figures in your life who, who have been good examples of fatherhood to you. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really great point, John, because we could experience that paternal fatherhood through different forms. It's not always through yeah. a biological father, um, yeah, just the whole point yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> Which, yeah, exactly. That's the exact point of this podcast. It doesn't have to come from that, but just yeah, to reemphasize that. But there are some stats that I do want to talk about with fathers and that father figure within people's lives. Um, came from a Swiss study in 1994. Um, it just talks a little bit about like the effect of fathers on their children. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm just gonna rattle 
three off real quick. Um, so the first one is, if both the father and the mother attend church regularly, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers, and 41% will end up attending irregular. Only a quarter of their children will end up not practicing at all. If a father is irregular and their mother is a regular churchgoer, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regular themselves, while a further 59% will become irregulars and 38% will be lost. The last stat is if the father is non-practicing and the mother is regular, only 2% of the children will become regular worshipers and 37% will attend irregularly and over 60% of their children will be completely lost to the church. Oof. Yeah, I, there's a... not, not that those stats speak for themselves. Um, I've always heard this before, and I know you and I have talked to Father Chase about a couple of other stats other than these of just the effect of the father being the leader in the, in the family for the faith. The father mm-hmm. making it a priority and showing that it's a priority to the children and the greater effect that it has on the children. Yeah, it's it's so important. And those, you're right, the stats speak for themselves. It's heartbreaking to listen to that. But if anything, I think it's a good um, invoca- invitation and call to action for all men, whether you're married right now or not, uh, to take your role as a father very seriously. And that you there's no small amount that you can give to your children that will impact them. So don't belittle the impact or think, yeah, it doesn't really matter that much. They can make their own decisions. Like they look to you. So uh, please take it seriously. And understand your effect on further generations. You know, yeah. I think yeah. of like, not even just like that generation is a one generation stat, but you think of, you look at that stat in two generations, how many churchgoers, how many Christians were lost just because of, the great grandfather was not a churchgoer. How many decades and centuries would go by with that, without anyone in that family actually taking their faith seriously? Um, but again, this call to spiritual fatherhood, it changes as time goes, you know, through childhood when you have children who are young, then you have your adolescents, and then you have children who are adults, you know, you have your 30 year olds. It's like, how does that call to be a spiritual father change throughout those years? Because uh, you hear the people who are like, you know, when little Timmy was eight years old, I used to just say, hey, Timmy, let's go to do a rosary real quick on the drive home. And he'd be so excited about it. But now when I do it and he's 14, you know, he just gets angry and puts his headphones in. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. It's like your approach throughout the years has to develop as well as your relationship with your child does. It's that whole idea of investing. You have to know what sets them on fire. You have to know what interests them. And I think one of the best advice, pieces of advice that Father Chase ever got, ever gave to me, I was talking to him about, you know, how do I like really interest others in the faith? And he was like, there's nothing you can do. I was like, wait a second, that sounds wrong. And he's like, well, no, but what I'm, he's like, what he's trying to say is that you need to know what sets them on fire and take mm-hmm. that to them. Don't try and just set them on fire without any little flame. Like, if it's, oh, your kid's really interested in history, bring them historical stories about the church or like yeah. historical stories about saints. If your mm-hmm. child really loves movies, watch a movie with them and talk about the spirituality, like the spiritual aspect of it. Watch A Quiet Place and talk about it. There's a lot to talk about there. That podcast is coming, don't worry. Um, but again, like just 
I think it always goes back to that level of investment and the level of just showing interest and really participating in their life. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've been very edified and um, moved by just watching, by watching you over the years of leading the guys that you lead um, from college, these younger men who, you know, came in as freshmen, were looking for something and the way that you've, you've walked with them and kind of adapted your style with them. Um, like learning, okay, this doesn't work or okay, this works with this guy. I'm going to talk with him individually about this thing. It's not just always going to be a group setting because it's easier for me or more convenient. It's like, I'm going to make the sacrifices and take the time to put the effort in to know this person and then to like try my best to give what God is asking me to give to them. Um, I think it's just, yeah, it's been very beautiful to see you lead those guys in a very real spiritual fatherhood, even though you are a, you're a 23 year old man, right? Like you're not, I'm dead yet, but you still have that role. No, I think it's important that you, know, that you said on an individual aspect, like in an individual way, like it can't be yeah. like, oh, let's have family meeting and I'm going to talk to you guys about religion for 20 minutes or like, Hey, let's uh, call my friends together. Like, let's all go grab a beer together and I'm going to be ready to talk to you about something spiritual. It's like, it's no, lecture has, time. like, yes, that can work at times, but it has to be that individual relationship. And yeah, I've been very fortunate to have some really great men in my life who have invested in me. Like I think of yourself, I think of Mick Best, um, like other great young men who have, you know, invested in me when I was, you know, a couple of years below them. And then I've been in turn able to, I hope, return the favor to some other men through John Kane and Matt Hanley. And, you know, shout out to those two for being great brothers to me and mm-hmm. allowing me to really walk inside their life, you know. It's it, it takes an open door. You can't force yourself into someone's life and be this spiritual father, spiritual brother. Um, but again, like being a spiritual father within a friendship is a challenge. And it's a whole different dynamic than what we're talking about for what a spiritual father is in the priest priestly view and what it is in the married life. Although there are some similar aspects like, oh, it starts with investment. It starts with living with them in life and kind of walking alongside them. Again, there are very unique challenges and differences. One of those first being what you, which you and I talked about right before we started podcasting was this idea of I am a spiritual father. I am above them. They are mm-hmm. below me. And so how yeah. do you combat that mindset? Um, and I was going to read just a little piece of scripture here from Timothy chapter five, uh, verses one and two. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with complete purity. I think that just emphasizes exactly everything we're talking about with this whole fallacy of like, oh, I am above them. Or even as me, like thinking of like, oh, the men who invested in me are above me. It's like, no, it is a give and a take. There has to be a mutual dependency, a mutual investment and interest in the other party. Yeah. And it's, it's a matter of this starts now, right? It doesn't just kind of click when you, you know, become a priest or when you, uh, you know, have your first kid, you have to start practicing now. So what better place to practice with your own father, your own mother, or like your friends as your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We, we believe this about the church that those who are baptized are also our brothers and sisters in Christ, not just our familial bonds. Um, so to really like look upon our friends as you are my brother, and then you are my sister. How do I love you as such? Um, and it's really difficult, but I mean, that's been 
something that I've been trying to like pray with and work on over the last year and by no means have <laughs> perfected it or mastered it and never probably will. But I've seen just a radical change in how I actually interact with people when that's my mindset. Um, it becomes, you become a lot more free in your interactions with them. Not like I can do whatever I want, but like you become much more open to them and to receiving who they are as another person. And then like knowing who you are and more confident in yourself in relationship with them. And it's just very, very beautiful to have that and to like be affectionate, to be personal with them and to walk with them. It's just, it opens up a whole door and prepares you for later down the road when you are actually like living this out in a more concrete way. And what comes to mind for me is that there are still barriers being able to have that freedom that you discuss. Um, And two of the main barriers that I've encountered um, is I've kind of made it a priority in my life to be this spiritual brother to uh, some of my friends, uh, specifically some of those younger guys that we've discussed. Um, The two of the things that I constantly am kind of struck with in those self-deprecating ideas of first, well, I'm not spiritually mature enough to be this to them. I'm not spiritually mature enough to challenge them or to call them out or to like really lead them in their faith. And the other one is this idea of, well, I'm a hypocrite. You know, I have my struggles or like I struggle with X, Y, Z sin. So how can I, in my position, tell them not to do those things? Cause I struggle with them. And I think mm-hmm. there's an, just a tough dynamic there as like, maybe it's just the perfectionist in me of like, I one am not ready. So I won't do it until I'm ready. And two, I'm not good enough. Someone else who isn't struggling with these sins should be the one to actually talk about these things with them. I don't have the right or the ability to do that. Yeah, that just destroys any concept of like walking with someone, um, which I get sounds really like cliche. And what does that even look like? I don't know. It's personal. You got to pray about it. Like (laughs) um, this is something I was kind of wrestling with the other day was just like, everyone has so much to say and like wants to do a lot of things um, to help people obviously. Right. But like how often do we actually stop and be like, I'm going to go away to my room in private and pray. Like, what does God want me to do? Um, So it becomes a much more personal thing. So then like I can understand better that even if I have my imperfections and my flaws and my weaknesses and I'm not good enough to do this, whatever. Um, I can still give what God is asking me to give because I want to do what he's asking me to do. Right. Like if you want to do God's will, ask him and like really sit with that. And it's a unique thing to each person. I think we have to really understand that um, if we're going to walk with people in this way and to kind of get past this whole perfectionist idea, it's like, who cares what the person's doing? That's great. Like Jesus even says at the end of John's gospel, like what concern of it is yours. If I want him to remain, like I'm talking to you. All right. So we need to really allow ourselves to be talked to personally. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, it's just something that I consistently struggle with that idea of just, I have to be this model person mm-hmm. before I can go outwards. And just thinking again, like that personal and that walking with that relationship, like, yeah, God speaks to the individual. And like he's speaking to your heart. And like, I've experienced it through confession with him, you know, just speaking directly to me and saying like, no, Michael, like, yes, you have this struggle but what right do you have actually not to talk about this struggle with others? You know, mm-hmm. like I'm going through this or I have gone through struggles or I've gone through sins. And it's like, I don't know, for me, I almost think there's even more of a responsibility to discuss those things and shed light upon them and open up my heart. Cause I don't know if I'm struggling with them, 
more than likely 99% of the other people in my life are also struggling with them. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. what healing and what growth can come from actually having these conversations and showing that intimacy and just being vulnerable, you know, that idea of just like sharing a part of your heart that you're too embarrassed to share. And not for ourselves, right? It's because it is giving glory to God. The image you just gave of I'm shedding light upon this so that they can see the glory of God working through it. Like we don't just be vulnerable for vulnerability's sake of being like, oh, look at me, I'm being vulnerable, whatever, dude. Okay. But um, we, when we get past it, we kind of work past that phase of being in that kind of mode of vulnerability. We start to share things because like, do I really think that God is bigger than this struggle? Or is, yeah, I mean, yeah, do I think that? You should think that because he is. Like, that struggle is not big enough for him to not overcome it. He already did. Um, but we need to allow ourselves to like, hand that over. We say, God can bring good things out of bad. Like, do we offer him those bad things or do we kind of just keep them off to the side? Like, yeah, you, you can't really deal with like work with those. Like, I'm just going to keep them in my, my back garage or something. It's like, no, give them over. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. Once again, John. Um, yeah. Lastly, I just wanted to touch real quickly because we're running over on time, but real quickly, you know, we've been talking a lot about men, talking a lot about fathers. So like, who cares about women? Who cares about mothers? No big deal, right? We care. <laughs> we care. We care a lot. Um, but again, yeah, something that we were, uh, Christine actually sent John and I an article about this idea of spiritual motherhood. And a lot of those qualities that we've just discussed with spiritual fatherhood play over into that same idea of, you know, that investment, that um, walking alongside within life. Um, but I kind of think even more so, women have such a delicate way and such a tenderness about themselves. And I think of like that idea of like, when you injure yourself as a child, mm-hmm. you scratch your knee, yeah. you're crying. You, typically the child goes running to the mother, like mother, please like help me, show me counsel, like bring me comfort. And I think that relationship carries over into just women in general, like even women in our own lives who are 21 year olds who have no children and are just friends to you and I, I know I've experienced through them this ability to oh, just yeah. care mm-hmm. and nurture and bring counsel to us through difficult moments and difficult times. Um, yeah. But I think that's just one of their unique calls, being a spiritual mother, whether that's through the religious life, whether that's through being an actual mother, and even more so just being a friend, being able to suffer alongside those with you, bring them comfort, bring them counsel. It's just such a different role than what men typically have and what men are actually capable of. At least me, like I'm typically a little bit more stern and I'm not as soft and delicate about situations. Um, But it's something that makes us different and it's a beautiful difference as well. Yeah. And just the, the real, um, the real way that their kind of genius shines forth of like, they are the, like Eve is the mother of all living things. Right. So women have this role of motherhood and of like life right? Like that's a big part of who they are is giving life. They have wombs. <laughs> they give life to us. Like it wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Um, but like in a real way, like when they, when they encounter us in this way um, and can you know, bring that comfort and that counsel, um, they in a very real way beget life um, like for us, like spiritual life through their, through their prayer, through their wisdom, through their own vulnerability. Like I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with um, the girls we're friends with that, like I've walked away being like, like some new insight has been born within me and like is now growing there. Um, or I like, yeah, it's just a very real thing that happens when you, uh, encounter that kind of spiritual motherhood. So I'm thankful for them as well on this day. There we go. 
Well, John, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Otherwise, you and I are going to be talking for probably another two hours on this subject. Yeah, extended um, edition. Yeah, extended edition. We'll put that on with the bloopers as well next time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be releasing the CD you guys can purchase. Um, no, but again, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, reach out to us at our email, thecatchcc at gmail.com with any questions, feedback, uh, you know, comments about our food choices. That uh, seems to be all we talk about. Uh, but again, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll be praying for you. Please pray for us. Until next time, adios. Bye.